Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 13. As you're opening your Bibles, in case I forget to say it, let me say it again gently and sweetly and humbly, okay, that uh, in our study of the book of Revelation, you, I, I may say something, I have already, <laughs> I have already said some things and will continue to say perhaps some things that may be a little bit outside of your, your tradition when it comes to this text. That's okay. If I say something or we, 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 we say something is a certain way that maybe it differently than you've learned or, or taught or even that you have taught yourself, first of all, don't panic. Did you all say don't panic? Don't panic. Here's what, we, here's what we believe. Here's what you're going to hear from me every time. Eternity is real. Eternity is real. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. And you should live like it. And if you're okay with that, we're going to have a great time. For the most part. Okay. All right. We need to remember that the book of Revelation is not the sci-fi channel on the cable network. It is not, blip, 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 oh, let's watch sci-fi. It's, just, it's, not, it's not fantasy and sci-fi. It is the Bible, and it is written as a, it, it's, a, it's really a pastoral or a bishop letter to churches. So it is intended to be a pastoral letter. Eschatology is absolutely must be about ethics. Eschatology, the study, the discussion of end times and, and eternity and those kinds of things, is it has to do with our ethical life. It, eschatology is not about calculating curious possibilities for the future. It is not about us drawing a, a map on a wall and, and, then, and then folding that map and placing it inside a file cabinet and thinking, good, I've got that figured out but it's not relevant to today. Oh, no, it's quite the contrary. As every time Jesus talks about any sort of eternal realities, it always was brought to bear upon the day you're in. In other words, that day is supposed to influence this day. So these are pastoral letters, and we know that because it's, they, the revelation begins by being written to seven real churches. And in each of those letters to those real churches, different things were emphasized, different messages given, but there was a consistent pattern that really, the pattern in those seven letters that we spent time looking at, that pattern uh, captures the essence, the ethos of the whole book. These are things that the, this is what the book is trying to tell us. Beware of immorality and idolatry. Endure persecution. Persevere. And remember the promise of, and there's a promise of reward for your faithfulness. And there's also a warning for judgment for those who would forfeit or abandon their faith. Those are real things in the text. Okay? Now. So, and then we remember this, that chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we are blessed if we will read and hear and heed these words. So, once again, this is absolutely important. We are here to listen and respond. This, I, ooh, ah, I feel it. Uh, this, we have to interpret this in a way that we can respond to, that it matters today. Not that there aren't that it didn't matter before and it won't matter after, but it has to matter now. Everybody say now. All right. Now, 
when, not, not, to, not to embarrass anybody or frustrate anybody, and, and everybody's fine, I love you, we're happy, but you know, sometimes you go to the movie theaters and they have a little signs that say, please silence your cell phones. Go ahead and do that right now. And as you, if you haven't found Revelation 13, it's right in the middle of the last book. Last week, we were in chapter 12, and John described in chapter 12 the conflict between the church and the dragon. The dragon who is Satan. I've got to say this. Oh, okay. Remember. Everybody say remember. Remember that the book of Revelation is written in a specific kind of genre. It is written, it is an apocalyptic book. Okay? Everybody say apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Which means it is absolutely not intended to be interpreted literally. Any, it is intended to communicate truth via symbols, using symbolism to communicate truth. And what's, what's, it's really important that we remember that because when we forget, when we take something that is symbolic and interpret it too literally, we forfeit its real meaning. Remember the, just a simple illustration of my wedding ring. What is this literally? Literally, it's a piece of steel with fake glass I bought on Amazon. I have a real one that she bought me a long time ago, but it's in this, it's in this special case because I'm brutal and I beat things up, so I had to get a stainless steel thing. So literally, it's an $8 ring. Symbolically, it's 24 years of a covenant of memories and life and hope. So what's more, so it's important that I understand that if I, when I reference this ring, I don't mean the $8 ring I got on Amazon, but what it symbolizes. So we have to come to the text and understanding that when we say things, when we hear about dragons and beasts and this and that, these are symbols that express things that are real. Symbolic doesn't mean not real. These are, these are symbols that communicate a reality. With me? With me. If you're with me, say with you. Very good. All right. So here we go. So this week now, John will describe what he sees. We left off in chapter 12 and verse 17 with a dragon making war against those who hold to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So now John's going to tell us what that it looks like, how the dragon, who is Satan, the ancient serpent, the deceiver, how he does that. We know why he does it, because he hates the Christ child. He hates that. He resents it. He resents getting thrown out of heaven. He's all kinds of mad, and now he makes war against the church, and this is how it's done. Whew. Let's just go, jump right in. I won't, there's more to explain, but we'll just jump right in. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Why the sea? The sea is, is, a, is, is really um, like a synonym for the abyss. The abyss, that bottomless pit, and the sea are often interchanged. The sea, you can imagine, look at it, it's this cauldron, this cauldron, boiling, churning thing that's dark, you can't see below it, and this, so this beast comes out of it. It represents not only the abyss, the dark place, but also unredeemed, degenerate humanity and its swirlingness is, is oftentimes referred to as the sea. So up out of the sea comes this beast. Everybody say beast. Oh, you didn't, uh, that wasn't very exciting. Okay. This beast comes out, and the beast which I saw, verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard. Okay. And his feet were like those of a bear. Okay. 
and his mouth like that of a lion. Huh? And, and, and wait a minute. He came out, but first part of verse 1 that I missed. The beast of the sea, he had ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on, his head, on those heads were blasphemous names. Time out. First of all, this beast has, this, has, has seven heads and ten horns just like the dragon. Symbolism. This beast is the image. He is the expression. He is the, the echo. He is made in the dragon's image. He is an agent of Satan, this beast. Now, we want to talk a little bit about who this beast is and what it is, and here's why it's really important. Get your, everybody get your smile on, please. Uh, again, this is where, this is where I might, we might say some things that are a little different than some paperback books, okay? But here's the deal. For all of my life, the, the, we, the beast was the boogeyman, was a boogeyman who was coming. And as long as the boogeyman didn't show up today, we're fine. Whoosh, glad, glad that doesn't affect us. <laughs> oh, Revelation 13, la, 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 off to pot roast, okay? But if the beast is only a future boogeyman, then this text is irrelevant. But he's not a future boogeyman. Here's the deal. What John sees is an amalgamation, a composite of Daniel in chapter 7 sees four different beasts come up out of the sea. And then we're told, Daniel is told, those different beasts represented different succession of, of world powers, world kingdoms that would dominate, persecute, and that would oppress, that would be against God. They were secular, godless kingdoms that whose, whose part of their agenda was not only to oppress, but to persecute the people of God. Each of those successive kingdoms in Daniel 7. In Revelation 13, this beast has all of them. That doesn't mean that he is the sum total of all of them like a super beast. John sees the representation of mankind, the world power that is organized against God in rebellion and with a mission to oppress the people of God. This beast is not a single empire. It is mankind's, the power of in mankind, world powers organized against God and his church. Okay? Now, for John and his immediate audience, that world power was absolutely Rome. Seven heads, they had, they named the people, old, the church fathers would say, yep, seven heads, seven emperors, blasphemous names on each of the heads. Emperors gave themselves divine titles, insisted to be called Lord, God, Most High, etc. Insisted to be worshipped. They instituted the, the cult of emperor worship. Okay, all of these things. This, this, so for John, this beast was Rome. But Rome passed, but the power, that beast, mankind organized in arrogance and in blasphemy has continued cyclically and grown and he will increase until the end. The beast is not a boogeyman, it is man in, in the sense of man's the civilization, a world power organized in, in rebellion against God. He says, he tells us more, the rest of verse 2. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and, a fatal, uh, uh, and a, his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast and worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? Okay, 
So the beast is given power, position, and authority from Satan. This is important. John, through the agency of heaven, wants us to know. Because when they're, when they're, for instance, if you're John in the church and you're wondering, again, why is this great world power after us? What have we ever done to Rome? Why is Rome trying to destroy us so viciously? Why are they have such a, such a visceral hatred of the church? Because their power, their position, their authority is derived from Satan. There's an agenda. Now, I'm not trying to get all kooky and weird, and I'm not trying to get you to all get angry and everything. Because, you know, I know Paul writes, and he says, hey, we're supposed to respect the state and cooperate with authorities. Yes, but at John's time, by John's term, this is a situation where that, that authority had transcended all of God's boundaries and was functioning as an agent of Satan. Yuck. All right, hang on. It's really important that we just kind of lean into this together. All right, so then he says this. He also has the appearance of being injured. Now, many commentators throughout the centuries have, 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 tried, to, have tried to explain this a lot of different ways. They've said, uh, they've said oh boy, oh boy, here, let me give you a few. Um, they said, oh yeah, that's uh, the, the failure, that Rome almost fell and then it, after, after Caligula, but then it came back. And then they said, oh boy, here's a good one. They said, oh, that's, um, they said uh, Nero, Nero, who they like to call the beast, Nero. They say Nero, he died after he, after he or whatever, and then they, and that, but then they said he didn't really die. He was hiding out and was, was plotting a comeback. There was a long-standing myth that Nero, like Elvis or Bruce Lee, was still going to come back. <laughs> okay? And, uh, but that didn't happen, Okay? Other people say, oh, I mean, I don't want to get, don't get offended. I'm just telling you what people have said over the years. They've said that this beast is the papacy and that at one time the, 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 the line of the pope was almost ended because of the French and the, 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 the war there and, 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 and all of that. But then he came back. And so clearly it's them. The point is throughout history, people have said, clearly it's that boogeyman. Clearly it's that. But it hasn't ever been just one boogeyman. It, this is not the, this is a power, an expression. I would like to submit this. May I submit? I will submit. I would like to submit to submit this. Remember, this beast is made in the image of the dragon who was cast out of heaven. He, after there was war in heaven, this dragon was thrown out of heaven. Now, this beast is in the image of somebody who got beat up. I would like to submit that this beast who, who bears this mark is bearing the mark because he is made in the image of, of a slain enemy. Now, he's still contending, but he's been slain. He bears the mark of one who's been defeated. Selah. I'll just throw that out there for your thought. Okay, now, pick it up, verse 5. There was given to him, and this is where I really think you need to lean in and listen. Please listen to what the text is trying to tell not only the original audience, but us. And be cautious with, you know, be, watch, don't, in other words, don't amen the wrong thing here. Don't say let it be when we're not wanting something to be. So just listen, okay? Uh, uh, there was given to this beast a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months that was given to him. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. Did you count how many, what was the most repeated word or idea there in that passage? Blasphemy. What is this, the main characteristic or nature then of the beast? The beast blasphemes. 
The main thing we need to be understand is that the beast has on its head blasphemous names and blasphemy in its mouth. What we need, this is what we must know. What are we talking about? This is like the blasphemous titles on its head. This thing speaks blasphemy. What is blasphemy? What does it mean to blaspheme? It means to speak abusively. It means to revile and to mock. Blasphemy is when what is human lays claim to what is divine. Or... When we reject what God has decreed and what God has said is holy and sacred, when we reject that, that is blasphemy. I don't want, I, I don't, I don't want you to love this word, but I, want you to, I don't want you to be afraid of it. I want, you to, I want us to hear that the scripture wants us to understand that the voice of the beast is blasphemy. It is blasphemy to call, the Bible says it is blasphemy to call what is evil good. It is blasphemy to call what is good evil. That's why the strongest blasphemy, that remember what Jesus said? The strongest blasphemy was to, was to say that what, what the Holy Spirit did was, was to attribute that to the devil. Blasphemy. Because that's the highest and purest good being called the worst kind of evil. So if that's true, what we need to understand is this. When sin is celebrated, that is the voice of the beast. When Christ is denied, that is the voice of the beast. When the creator, big grins here, when the creator is denied, voice of the beast. Look, when people say this all happened on accident, that is blasphemy. When Freud is Lord, blasphemy. When wickedness is defended and virtue is derided, that is blasphemy. To call something holy when it is perverse is blasphemy. Again, why is this important? Because this is the voice of the beast. I want us to recognize that this that we are not waiting for a someday boogeyman. That voice is here. To, to dismiss the defense of the unborn is blasphemy. To affirm the mockery of human sexuality is blasphemy. To take pride in rebellion and the mockery of the image of God is blasphemy. To say, hello, Zuckerberg, okay? To say that love is whatever provides consensual arousal, that love is just love, instead of that God is love and that God says what love is, that's blasphemy. The beast blasphemes. And if you're waiting for a boogeyman, you're not paying attention that his voice is here. That is the sound that he makes. It is his message. 
It is imperative that you, as a, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ, as a follower of the Lamb of God, that what John wants us to know is that do not par- recognize that voice, don't agree with it, don't surrender to it, don't partner with it, don't celebrate it, don't accommodate it, don't do that. Don't throw dirt clouds and rocks at people, but do not partner with that voice. Do not partner, do not friend, do not share little cute little social media posts when people are calling what is a, what a perversion when they call that sacred. Don't defend them and look for their point of view. They are under the influence of the beast. Now, as, as much as that sounds drastic, eternity is real. It is blasphemy. I'm going to say this sentence carefully. It is blasphemy that characterizes the beast's power. And it is blasphemy that he will require of those who worship him. He will require those who worship him to embrace this blasphemy. Now, we're told that this arrogance and blasphemy, good news, it only lasts for 42 months. Whoosh, it's going to come and go like nothing, right? Well, except for 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years is the same time period that we have heard in 11 to 12, 6, 12, 14, 13, 5, and now in 13, which means that this is, now if we add all that up, we're up to 14 years. Smile again, and let me just repeat that this expression, 1,260 42 months, three time, times the times and a half. Those are not intended by John to be literal time periods. They are symbolic expressions. They, 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 the reader, when he hears that, the reader says, oh, I remember that is like the oppression of Antichius Epiphanes. That is like a foreign invader, an unlawful, illegal presence in that, that, has, that, has, that has barged into a place that doesn't belong to him and his time is short. He will do damage. He will harass. He will persecute. He will do horrible things, but for a short time because it's not his place. This is exactly what happened. They understand that the, the reason why they see that, it, to say 42 months, that's not to make us measure. That is to give us hope. That is to give us hope. That is to give us hope that there may be an oppressor. There may be an oppressor. There may be a tyrant. There may be a beast. There may be blasphemy, but it is not forever. It is the voice of the one who doesn't belong, who hasn't paid for it, and who's got to go. And that's why we say we're not intimidated, we're not afraid, we don't cower, we don't hide, we don't fear, we certainly don't agree with it, we don't partner with it. What we'll find out is our job is to overcome it. That's our job. Verse 7, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them in authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. We've already heard about this beast making war against the people. This is not another war about another beast and another people. This is, this is a recapitulation. This is the origin story from 11.7. When the witnesses, who after they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss or the sea will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. We are reading that again in 13. Verse 8, this is where it gets... Even more so, all the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name, uh uh-oh, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb, or the Lamb's book of life, 
Would you all say that with me, please? The Lamb's Book of Life. Everyone whose name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life will worship the beast. Time out. Thank you, Buzz, because you got that. Everyone whose name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life will worship the beast. Do you hear what John is saying? I know as Americans, we don't like to be given ultimatums. We don't like that. We don't like it. Put up your dukes. I'm an American. Nobody can tell me what to do. Yankee Doodle Dandy. But here's what John says. You are either a follower of the lamb or a worshiper of the beast. John does not allow for or recognize some sort of in-between state. And how do you know? You get to decide. You get to decide. He has invited you, he has paid for you, he has redeemed you, he has called you, and you don't have to earn it, you couldn't possibly, he did it anyway. There's nothing for you to do other than to accept with your own will, to decide to accept, yes, Lord Jesus, I accept what you did for me on the cross, I surrender my life to you. There's your name. There's your name. And then, that's why chapter 7 says, and those people, those people are, have already been, they've been sealed. They belong. And, they, and the belong behave like they belong. Do you remember that? Do you remember that from 7? Do you remember that when, the, when they said they were going to seal them? We, we talked about those who belong to the Lord, the, that they, they are marked as belonging, and that the, those who belong behave like they belong. Let's say that again with me, because it's, it's going to be a good in a moment. Those who belong behave like they See, when I identify with the Lamb, I am loyal to the Lamb. He has my allegiance, my loyalty, my everything. It's not he has my identity and my whole life. I follow him. I do what he does, right? Okay. Hey, Ben, you went too fast, but that's okay. Here we go. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. This is a reminder of what we have heard John say, the Lord say through John in chapters 1 through 3. These are the letters to the churches that, that we are to pay attention. Verse 10 says, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone, is, anyone kills with a sword, with the sword he must be killed. This is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Say that with me, please. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Meaning this, this is going down. John references Jeremiah 15.2 as the source of this quote about being destined for captivity or the sword. In other words, the people of God have and they are and they will face persecution. They will face sword. They will face captivity by the powers under the influence of the beast. They have, they are, and they will. Somehow, we've got to be careful because the view that somehow God is going to just remove his people from persecution creates a faulty expectation of what what he just said. Here is, our job is not to run away and hide or to duck, but to persevere and to overcome. Here it is. Listen again. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What does it mean to overcome? It literally means to conquer. We, our, job, our job through faith in Christ, our, we, when we recognize what the enemy is and what he's doing, we are not afraid. We don't submit. They can take away like they did to the people. They took away their houses. They took away everything. We don't live like that now, but the church has for centuries. They can take away everything, but they cannot take away our faith, and we will overcome. 
We will overcome. We cannot, we, because we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we cannot lose. The only way to lose is to give up. But we will not. We will overcome. And he continues, Revelation 2.11, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. That one's a doozy. Revelation 3.5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Revelation 3.21, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the beast that comes out of the sea is a beast of power who, who, and blasphemy who will incite worship, not because of his virtue, but because of his power. And under his power, his, his, uh, his, his influence is a blasphemous influence. But then verse 11. Who took up all my time? Verse 11. The then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he, we're almost done. And he, another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Oh, but he spoke like a dragon. Uh-oh. That's important. This is another beast, this one from the earth. This one looks like a lamb. He has a persuasive and winsome and, and even perhaps appealing appearance, but his nature is not what he appears. He, 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 this is a beast of deception. Some would say deception. Right away, we see that the first one has power and is blasphemous. This one is deception. He, has the, he, has, he appears as one thing, but he speaks as another. He speaks with the voice of the, of the dragon, with arrogance and blasphemy and deception. And here's, here's his deception, verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the beast. He draws the hearts of mankind to worship this beast, to embrace him whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that fire comes out from heaven down to the earth in the presence of men. I don't know what that means. Don't ask me, okay? But I do know this. He, verse 14 explains it. He deceives he does things that seem impressive. Somehow this influence, whatever it does, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound and who came to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that, that the image of the beast would even speak and cause many who do not worship the beast of the, who do not, do, listen, and cause as many as do not Worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay. What? Now, John, it, we a couple of choices here. Choice number one is John telling us that this second beast is going to carve a statue and then go over the statue, and then the statue is going to go, and everyone's going to go, wow, a walking statue. Ayayumta. Is that what's going to happen? No. That is too literal. No, 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 no. He's going to cause an image. He's going, the image, the idea. Come on, come on, read it. The idea, the impression, the manifestation of this power. He's going to give a character life to it. And by br to breathe on it means he's going to inspire. He's going to give it life. He's going to inspire veneration and respect and adoration. Every, people are going to want to love. He's going to sell this beast. 
But instead of by force, he's really selling the beast. And it's so appealing. Listen, this, this beast is so appealing, and you've got to do what he says, and you've got to agree with him and talk like he talks, because to do otherwise would just be treason. I mean, I mean it's, it would be ridiculous. You, you, there must be something very wrong with you not to agree with this beast. It must be treasonous. Stay with me. Now, I could give you quickly some his- history of that, but basically this, nobody agrees. Okay? Nobody agrees. But there is definitely a religious overtone. There's definitely a religious overtone. This, this second beast should strike a little bit close to home. It's not an accident that he looks like a lamb. Okay? This is, this is one a little closer to home. He's actually called the false prophet several times later in the text. In the letters to the seven churches, there were false teachers who were infiltrating the church and persuading people to practice idolatry and immorality. And Jesus said they're Jezebel, they're Balaam, and they're Nicolosians. It was a strong warning that people were coming into the church to try to say, hey, yeah, you can call yourself or whatever, but, what, but, you, but, but embrace idolatry, embrace sexual immorality, embrace this kind of stuff. It was a seductive deception, made it seem like it was a good thing. While the beast speaks loudly and defiantly, the second beast sounds more persuasive. And he gives breath to this image. Verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves. Here it is. You've been waiting for it, haven't you? Okay? To be given a mark. You're waiting for me to tell you what, what computer chip is coming, aren't you? Okay? To be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except for the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Listen, I don't care. I probably have heard just as much as you, perhaps more, because I've been in church quite a smidge about all of this. I, and I'm, you know, might not know, but I'm a son of a banker. So the whole cashless society stuff, I've heard, my dad has heard, and we've said, no, no, just simmer down, simmer down. Everybody say simmer down. So last week, Sunday night, some of you saw on Facebook, I was joking around. I had, we always start, I start Sunday morning on the Sunday night before, as far as studying. It's getting close to midnight. I give my wife the Bible, and I said, read chapter 13 and see if you can make sense of it. That's how we start. So she reads it. She, re- she reads it. She closes it. She says, yeah, Mark of the Beast. Don't get it. Bob's your uncle. Have a good week. <laughs> I said, sure. Be, that would be a very short morning. Um, just in the same way that the beast is not a boogeyman, you've got to be careful. When we're talking about this mark, the, the mark of the beast, we're not, are we talking about a computer chip or a tattoo? Well, first of all, the first time, the locus classicus, the first time that we read about a mark, as I said a moment ago, was in chapter 7 when those who belonged to the Lord were marked. And they were marked as those who belonged and they behaved like they belonged. Was that a visible mark? No, it wasn't. It was a symbolic mark that describe their identity and their loyalty. It was a symbolic mark that described their identity and their loyalty. Which hand do you raise 
when you're going to take an oath. That's been that way since the Old Testament. It's been that way. The right hand represents your oath, your allegiance, your loyalty. The mark on the head is about identity. The hand is about loyalty, belonging and behavior. Here's the deal. Here's what we said. The name of the message this morning was I said, said, it's the mark of the beast. It's worse than you think. It's probably not what you think. It's probably worse than you think. If, listen, if, the, if this mark, this horrible thing, were just a computer chip, then Buzz, you and I could just identify it, avoid it, and be fine. We could live however we want. We could live idolatrous, immoral lives, but as long as we don't get that computer chip in our hand and go through Costco, no problem. As long as I don't get some crazy tattoo on my forehead, I can live like hell, but I don't have to worry about it. Ba, 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 ba. I've avoided the mark. <laughs> or... It's worse than we think. Or it's not something that can just be implanted into my skin, which will be destroyed. Perhaps it's about my identity and my, belo- my, 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 my loyalty. Perhaps this mark is an allegiance to the voice of the beast. It is identifying with blasphemy and being loyal to it. It's much worse than I thought. What if the mark is... is, 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 is identifying with and being loyal to this blasphemous thing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But John says that identifying with and being loyal to this blasphemous, deceptive, rebellious voice, without it, people were prevented. They couldn't, they couldn't buy, they couldn't sell. Did you read that? Did I read that out loud or did I skip that part? Good, thank you. Okay, They couldn't buy, they couldn't sell. Wait a minute. You know that we already read this in chapters 2 and 3, those first churches in Asia. Unless they took a pinch of incense and put in the fire and says, Caesar is Lord, they were kicked out of the trading guilds. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They were kicked. They, they literally could not engage in commerce. And they began to be livid. They were impoverished and began to starve because they would not swear loyalty to the blasphemer. They would not identify or be loyal to blasphemy. Boy, it's sure a good thing we don't have to live with that today. Aren't you glad? Boy, aren't you glad we don't have to deal with any of that nonsense today? We don't have to be loyal to any sort of blasphemous ideas to engage in free enterprise today. Aren't you glad? Anybody want a cupcake? Or a wedding cake? Or some flowers? Or just have a wedding chapel? Easy. Just saying, if you understand what the text is saying, it is not about a past or a future boogeyman. It is about the voice and the influence of blasphemy that's present today that demands loyalty. It demands loyalty, or you will be shamed or worse. Finally, verse 18 here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number of the, is that of a man, and his number is 666. Your notes, actually, we don't know. It could be 616, 
<laughs> but it's probably 666 if we stay with the symbolism in the text. And this is, yes, it's true. Uh, gematria, the, the practice of uh, using letters for numbers, goes back to the Hebrews and the Greeks because they didn't have a number system. And they, there was a system of a certain, the first nine were the first ten, and then the second, you know, the first, the second nine were the ten, you know, ten through ninety, and then you did all that stuff. And so people have used that system to try to calculate whose name this is in search of the boogeyman. And that's been the problem. They've been in search of, like Leonard Nimoy, they've been in search of the boogeyman. That was a show a while ago. Okay? They, were, they were in search of the boogeyman, and no one's ever found him. Irenaeus, the, 100 years after John, he tried to do the math. He couldn't figure it out. They came up with all kinds of names. For a while, and, and still in some ways, the, pre, the presiding idea was, oh, John meant Nero. Because if you do the math, 666, you do the math, you come up with Nero. Do you know how to do that? You have to, you have to transliterate Nero from the Greek into the Hebrew and then spell it wrong <laughs> to get Nero. Clearly, if, if that was John's plan, <laughs> it was pretty smart. I had a professor in seminary. Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Michael Kuykendall, good man, good man. In, in New Testament class, he stood up and said 666 was Ronald Wilson Reagan and then laughed really hard. He was a liberal. He didn't like Republicans, and he thought Reagan was bad, so 666. Spell it out. There's six letters. What I'm saying is people have been looking for the boogeyman, and they can't find him because it's not supposed to be. When they heard that, the original church, when they under, they weren't like, we, when, when Nero or the other emperors were killing them, they weren't like, gosh, I wonder who the bad guy is. The number was to help them understand that that world power and those who swore allegiance to it was not a savior and not a good thing. They said, let the reader understand. Understand that what you're facing is the expression of blasphemy, idolatry, and evil. It is the 666. It's this in triplicate. It is the expression of, of failed humanity, failed rebellion. What you have to understand, is un, let, let the reader understand that you are up against something that is spiritual, that is evil, that is, that is, it is man's rebellion. Do not embrace it. So what do we do? How do we respond to all of this? Beasts and marks and loyalty and blasphemy. We stay with, that's why I began this way. We, we, we interpret it by staying with the general message of the whole text. Eternity is real. Be, and we live in a present reality of conflict. I realize that at different times in our history and different places in the world, Vancouver, you, you're all going to leave here today, probably go to any restaurant you want, pay too much for a piece of hamburger, all that kind of thing, and you're not going to face much trouble. But that doesn't mean that there isn't trouble brewing around the world. The voice of the beast is alive and well. And the truth is, the peace that we live now, which we should be grateful for, is really a blip on the radar screen of world history. Reality is, we live in a present conflict and there is not a neutral position. You either follow the lamb or you worship the beast. If you have ears to hear, listen, remember, there is promise of reward. There is a warning of judgment. 
You should beware of immorality and idolatry. You should endure persecution. You should remember the source of all of that stuff is a vicious but very defeated foe. You and I should persevere. We should overcome because eternity is worth it. Let's stand together as we close, please. Man. I feel like it would be the most pastoral thing for me to do to say, friends, John has reminded us that the voice of this beast is a voice of blasphemy. That's the most, that's the strongest, most repeated characteristic. So I would just want to say that as a church, as those who follow the Lamb, if your name is in, written in that book, if you've confessed Christ as your Lord, I want to strongly encourage you to really consider the blasphemous voices in your life. And don't throw rocks at them. Don't send them mean messages. But do not partner with them. And do not let your voice join their voices. Beware of that sneaky, that, that pervasive, that deceptive power to draw you into a blasphemous life or blasphemous uh, speech. Honor the Lord. Be loyal to Christ. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask for your Holy Spirit to rest upon your church in power and in joy. I thank you, Lord, for the life that we have today. For I th We thank you, Lord, for the peace that we enjoy. We thank you, Lord, that we know it's rare, but we're thankful for it. We're thankful, Lord, for ideals and for foundations in, in our nation anyway, that, that we, we are able to have a degree of freedom of, of, and liberty. But, Lord, we're not, we are not so unaware, not so deceived that, 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 that governments and world powers eventually turn against themselves and against you. Lord, give us patience to persevere and overcome. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week. Be nice to somebody. Thanks for your patience today. It was somebody else's fault that I went long. It wasn't mine.